0: For the reading of God's word, we're in Philippians. We are in Philippians. My beautiful, beautiful wife, can you bring me my glasses? They're in the front pocket of my backpack. <laughs> Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. All right. Very good. Oops, none in there. Oops, I guess no glasses. That's okay. <laughs> no, that's okay. I'll be fine. Philippians chapter three, verse one. It says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Father, I pray in Jesus' name as we are in this verse today. And speaking about these things. Just as our worship leader, Manuel, said, when we rejoice, you rejoice. And so, Lord, that there's something that we can do that makes you rejoice. Oh, what a thought. What a blessed thought, Lord. But we need help. I need help. Bringing us to that place, Lord where we're obeying this verse. You're telling us, finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. We're obeying it, Lord. Sounds like a command to me. Lord, your word says you've given us all things for life and godliness, meaning, you've provided a way for us to get to that place where we can rejoice in you. Even on this 17 degree morning on Sunday, In January, in Boston, in 2024, do that work in us. Warm our hearts, Lord, with your word, by your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. So, we're starting off with where we ended last week. It says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Added to that, let's look at a few other verses. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. Rejoice always. Next verse, Philippians 4, 4. This is the next chapter. We'll get to it eventually. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And then we see, this is Psalm 32, I don't have the reference here, last last verse of Psalm 32 says this, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. That's the last verse of Psalm 32, let's go on. Next verse, this is Deuteronomy chapter 12. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 7 says this And there, meaning when you come to Jerusalem with your offerings, you shall eat before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice seven times in the book of Deuteronomy, which is the book of the law. Seven times there's a command. You shall rejoice. You shall rejoice in all to which you have put your hand, you and your households, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. Being happy, being joy-filled, if you weren't here last week, is... Not presented in the Bible as an option. Being happy, being joy filled is a command. It is among God's highest priorities for your life. Some would say, God's highest priorities. Highest priorities. What's that? His highest priority. Now, some would say love is his highest priority because Jesus said the first command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And theologians, they argue about these things. But among God's highest priority for your life is that you're happy. Consider this statement of the Apostle Paul. Paul, this is just amazing. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 4 says, In everything we show ourselves to be servants of God, in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in difficulties, in beatings, in imprisonments, in mob attacks, in labors, in, labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. What on earth does that mean? Well, we'll talk about that, but consider what he's saying here. In afflictions, hardships, difficulties, beatings, imprisonments, mob attacks. Ever been in the middle of a mob attack? I was once <laughs> during the Rodney King riots in the 1990s. In mob attacks, in labors, in sleeplessness and hunger, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. No matter what happened, Paul always sought out and received the joy of the Lord. Now, a little review from last week. When I say it is among God's highest priorities for your life, that is joy. What do I mean by that? It's specifically joy in the Lord not joy in your job, join your money, join your family, join the team that you want to win the world cup. Nothing wrong with having joy in those things except when the bible speaks of God's priority for your life, it's speaking of a spe- specific kind of joy, joy in the Lord. Philippians 3:1 says, "Finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord." Philippians 4:4 4, 4 says, "Rejoice In the Lord always. So we talked about this last week. It took a little while to get it right last week. You're going to get it right first time this week. What is the source of your joy? Ah, louder. louder. The Lord himself. God himself is the source of your joy. So the question is, why is it among God's highest priorities for your life? This is sort of where we ended last week. Why is it, and, and and this gets, by the way, this gets religious people really nervous. When I start saying stuff like, God's highest priority for your life is, life is your happiness, they're like, whoa, that's not allowed. You can't say that. But there's a reason. And it's it's just, Packed with theology of uh, uh, the study of God, what the Bible says of who God is and what um, w- and His purposes for um, your life. Why is it that it's God's highest priority for your life? And the answer is, it's because your joy is directly tied to God's purpose. For your Not only for your life, but for creating the whole world. The Bible says you have a purpose. And we go out on the streets and we tell people about the Lord, pray about that. Spring training for evangelism training coming up. One of the things we talk about is, do you, do you have a purpose for your life? I tell you, that will get people uh, sort of paralyzed. Er, I don't know. But as a Christian, you should never say, you should never not, double negative, have an answer to that question. What's the purpose of your life? Isaiah 43, verse seven. Everyone, and that includes you. That includes you. Who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory. The purpose of your life is to bring God glory. The more you grow in Christ, the more that in and of itself, can we have that again, John? The more you grow, the more years go by, the more this verse in and of itself will just make you rejoice. The purpose of your life is to bring God glory, to reflect the glory of God. That is God's purpose for your life, but not only is it God's Not only is the glory of God the purpose of your life, it's the very purpose that God created the world. In the book of Numbers, you can look it up and circle this verse, absolutely, just out of nowhere, seemingly out of nowhere, God just says this. You can't really figure it out from the verses before or after, but it, it just comes out, the Holy Spirit just inserts this verse, he says, truly as I live, this is God speaking, all The earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. And then in the book of uh, Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4, it says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now pause. I have to do this. I'm sorry for those who don't like me jumping up and down or get a little nervous when I do. I have to to explain what the glory of the Lord means. What in the world does that even mean? I mean, if that's the purpose of my life, to reflect the glory of the Lord, what is the glory of the Lord? It's not easy to explain in words. But it is what happens when a human being, whether they're a follower of God or not, whether they're a believer in God or not, they have an encounter with God. Listen, unbelievers have encounters with God all the time. It's what the glory of God means when a a human being or an angelic being has an encounter with God in which their eyes are open to who God is or what he is doing, and something in the deepest part of their soul shouts out, wow! Whoa! They may not be saying it with their lips, but something in them is shouting out loud and clear, that is God. They can't deny the power of God, the love of God, the wrath of God, the truth of God, the presence of God, and it makes them want to worship. Most don't. They turn away. The implications of worshiping God and following God are too hard for them. I don't want to be accountable to anyone. I want to be like God. That's what Eve and Adam said to their hearts to the, uh, the, the serpent were in the garden. We want to be like God. So they turn away. But nevertheless, the glory of God was displayed. And they'll have to answer Someday for the fact that they were in the presence of the Lord and they saw the glory of the Lord. Again, Numbers fourteen twenty-one says, truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord and the Bible does say And we were in this in 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 the previous chapter, in chapter two, verse ten of Philippians, that this is gonna happen. Can we have the verse again, John? Thanks. Someday this is gonna happen. And Philippians chapter two verse ten says that when this happens when Jesus returns when the whole earth is able to see his glory and the whole earth is filled with his glory Philippians 2:10 says that at that moment every knee should bow they may not be bowing now when they see the glory of God but someday every knee will bow of those in heaven of those on earth and those under the earth and every tongue will confess That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So, again, you may ask, what does my joy have to do with God's glory? The answer is your joy when your joy is in the Lord, or the source of your joy is in the Lord. So by the way, that may mean when you're rejoicing in your, in your family, in your job, or, or even in your bank deposit, that if the source of your joy is in the Lord, the Bible says God is glorified. If you're looking at your, <laughs> even if, 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 as nervous as it is having me talk about it, at your retirement account, and, and the source of your joy is in the Lord, and you're going like, wow, Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord. The Bible says that God is glorified. First Peter 1.8 says this. This is 1 Peter 1.8. Jesus Christ... Whom having seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you, everyone say it, Rejoice. you Rejoice. with joy inexpect- inexpressible and full of glory. See, when you're full of joy, God gets glory meaning the people around you, and, and the Bible even says angelic beings, that's what we're talking about in the book of Job on Tuesday nights, God's glorified in their eyes. Now, can you, can you put that back up, uh, John? Thank you. So First Peter 8, I, I do, it's important that you, uh, that you understand that this book some of our folks are, are studying it. John's leading a Bible study on, on, on Friday nights in First Peter, and uh, the theme of the book is suffering. That is the theme of First Peter. For example, First Peter chapter four verses twelve and thirteen says this: "Beloved, do not think it strange. Don't don't be surprised." Concerning the fiery trial, you know, a trial, you ever had it, I know you have, some of you, many of you, maybe all of you, a trial that just seems like you're in the fire. Peter says, beloved, don't think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's sufferings. Now, let's pause for a second. Notice, let's keep this up, John. Notice, it says, rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. Now, you can leave this up, John. Now, what kind of sufferings, what kind of Christ's sufferings do you partake in? Anyone want to shout out something? What kind of Christ's sufferings do you partake in? It says that rejoice to the extent you partake of Christ's sufferings. Anyone? Persecution, Persecution is, is, is an example. Anything else? Uh, a difficult relationship, a difficult marriage, a difficult—you uh, know—your your kids are being difficult. Your your father, mother's being difficult. So difficult relationships. Jesus, remember the Bible says, is married to the church, which is constantly giving him, um, which is a constant source of suffering for him. Rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's suffering. As I was thinking about this, um, one of the uh, ways that you participate in the suffering in Christ, you're not going to be crucified, you're not going to be whipped by a Roman scourge. But anytime you are suffering, by not giving in to temptation. Anyone been tempted this week? Anyone been tempted this week? If you're not raising your hand, whoa! You 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 you, you, you were sleeping or something. Um, you were put to sleep at the hospital by some heavy drugs. But you were tempted this week. I I, I assure you. But um, any time you're suffering by not giving into temptation, you're participating in the sufferings of Christ. Hebrews chapter four verse fifteen says that Jesus Christ was tempted. In every single way you've been tempted, yet without sin. sin. And so don't think Jesus didn't suffer, suffer when he's tempted. If you think that, you have a wrong view of who Jesus is. He was fully God, and he was fully man. As a man, he was tempted in every way that you have been tempted. Hebrews chapter five, verse eight, it says this fascinating thing. Jesus Christ learned obedience through someone shouted out suffering Jesus Christ learned obedience through suffering now remember our verse finally brethren rejoice in the lord your happiness your joy is among god's highest priorities for your life but what did we what did we say last week but never at the expense of obedience I know God wants me to be happy. This temptation is making me miserable, so I'm just gonna give in to the temptation. Never, ever. No, in fact, your obedience, your saying no to temptation, is the very channel, the road, the way into a life of joy. And so, listen, Calvary Chapel, the road to a sustained life of joy can involve sometimes an incredible amount of suffering. I was just in Matthew 26 this morning where Jesus said to a few of his disciples at the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, my my soul is exceedingly sorrowful to the point of death. Then it says he got on his face and he cried out, Oh, my father. He was an amazing amount of suffering. But what else does it says in that book of Hebrews? It was the joy that was set before him it was because of that joy and the want of that joy and the following after that joy that he endured the cross. Calvary Chapel, never, ever, please, <clears throat> take what the Bible has to say about God's priority could be his highest priority for your life joy as a reason to disobey the word of god that's the very obedience to the word of god is the channel to your joy but back to our subject okay why is it that your happiness among is among god's highest priority because when you rejoice particularly in a season of suffering it brings glory to God. And God's glory is the very purpose of your life. It's the purpose for which God created the world. Case in point, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14. Same chapter there in 1 Peter. If you are insulted for the name of Christ. I got to tell you. Take, you know, clench your fists and punch me in the face. I can deal with that. But when you start insulting me. I tell you, that's much harder. <laughs> Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Who made that up? What kind of? It's precisely the opposite. It's the opposite. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, blessed are you. I just love this. For the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. Wow. It's so good, I'm going to repeat it. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. So Calvary Chapel, the Bible says that part of your obedience to the Lord, I will say that again part of your obedience is to the Lord is to fight for your happiness to fight for your joy to fight for it to fight for it every day to not be complacent on this subject I'll just let my discouragement hang for another couple days no every day so we talked a little bit last week about how to do that. I want to pick that up too as well. How do you do that? In verses two, Philippians chapter three through ten, Paul mentions at least two things. Let's read. By the way, can someone bring geo, can you bring me a watch or a clock? So let's read. Starting with, let's start again with verse one. It says, "Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. I mean, it's not hard for me to tell you again and again and again and again. You got to rejoice in the Lord. You just have to. And then he says." talk about doing a 180 the holy spirit does this sometimes beware of dogs beware of evil workers beware of the mutilation what i think what in the world and then he says in verse 3 for we are n- we are the circumcision who worship god in the spirit and we rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. (laughs) Okay, so what is going on? The first thing, he's teaching you this. The first thing you need to do when you fight for joy is when you got it, you don't allow anyone else to take it away and you can be sure that since your joy brings glory to God, that Satan, same book, 1 Peter, chapter 5, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeing whom he may devour, he hates the glory of God. His number one priority is to try to rob God of his glory in your life, he will try to rob you of your joy. The joy, again, that brings God, God's glory. Now, one of the um, ways that Satan does that, rob you of your glory, is through religious people in the church. Case in point. Chapter three, verse two, again, he says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. He is saying to them, listen, I want to protect you. I want to protect your joy, so watch out for dogs. Who are the dogs? Well, you find that the beginning of verse three, there's a clue there, for we are the circumcision. So these dogs that he's referring to, these evil workers, what he calls the mutilation, he's talking about religious Jews who used to follow Paul around from city to city, telling people who had just put their faith in Jesus Christ and who were filled with joy, hold on, you need to be circumcised. Now, that was a problem for most of the people Paul preached to. Why? They were almost all Gentiles who had not been circumcised. So picture the scene. Paul comes into a Gentile city. And there's a great picture of it in Acts chapter 13. We were, uh, in, when we were in Galatians, we studied Acts chapter 13 a lot. It's a Gentile city in Acts uh, chapter 13, and he declares to these Gentiles, these non-Jews, he says, everyone who believes in him, meaning Jesus, is made right in God's sight. Now notice, it doesn't say everyone who tries and tries and tries their best to be good is made right in God's sight. It doesn't say everyone who hasn't done really, really, really bad things, only really bad things. Uh, They will be made right in God's sight. No, it says, everyone who believes in him is made right in God's sight, something the law of Moses could never do. So he goes into these cities, and he... And he preaches this, uh, again, that you're saved by grace. Salvation with God is a gift from God. It can't be earned. It can't be deserved. That's the gospel. He comes into the cities saying this. uh, And and that was a big deal to the Gentiles. The Gentiles actually, ironically, by the Jews, they were called dogs. Why? Why? Because they went around copulating, fornicating, just like dogs did. And, and that is a focus. When Paul is speaking to the Gentiles, he actually reminds them what they've been saved from. Uh, t- uh, for example, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, it says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk who, have been, who being past feeling have given them over, set themselves over to lewdness. That's talking about sexual lewdness to work all uncleanness. If you look at the underlying Greek word, that's talking about sexual uncleanness with greediness. So Paul's going into the city. The people have been ravaged by this. They're listening to him. They're thinking, there is no amount of law I can follow for the rest of my life to be saved by by the Lord. They're, They're... because of, because of, again, because of this. Because they, they just trashed their lives through sexual immorality. And then it also says uh, greediness. They hear Paul saying, everyone who believes in Jesus Christ is made right in the sight of God. What happens? They, the Bible says they accepted it and they rejoice. Let's read Acts chapter 13. A Gentile city. Now when the Gentiles heard this, the message of grace... They were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as has been appointed to eternal life believed. And it says, and the word of the Lord spread throughout all the region, and the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. And so... Okay, we're still, I'm still painting the seed for you, um, the, seed, this, the scene, so here you have the scene. These the people are, these Gentiles are like, wow, I can actually have a relationship with God. I, I don't have to be walking on my knees up a pagan temple to worship and sacrifice, whatever, to try to be made right with God. I just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're filled with joy, The sin that that they could not have imagined could have been taken away in a thousand lifetimes. The shame, the guilt, the weight of their sin, gone. Jesus Christ has taken it away simply by them putting their faith in Jesus Christ. Now some religious people come along and say, wait a second, wait, 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 wait. Stop this love feast Moses in the Bible requires that all God's people be circumcised. Verse 2 again, Philippians 3, read it with, with me. Paul says, Of these people, and they exist in the church today. Says, Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. Now, that word mutilation is a play on words. He's referring to the circumcision as a mutilation, not, not only of the flesh, but also of your joy. It Religious people will mutilate your joy. Be careful of them, Calvary Chapel. Be careful of them. Your joy will be mutilated if you allow religious people to come into you and add to what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. Paul says, beware of these people. In 2024, you will have people doing the same thing. Right here in the city of Boston, you'll have people who'll come up to you and say, you have to go to church on Saturday, not Sunday, Sunday to be a Christian. Or there's a very, very prominent uh, church in the city that says you have to be baptized in my church to be a Christian. Both those things prevalent in religious groups in Boston that will kill, that will mutilate the faith of a new believer who doesn't understand that's a big fat lie from the devil. Both of those things. Or a religious person who who tells you real Christians, I mean real Christians, should not be in any form of social media. Now you may be a person the Lord wants you off, but to make a rule (laughs) that real Christians Got to get off social media, and it, it, that's going to rip off your joy if you buy into that lie. But it's it. it Paul says again: f- first thing to fight for your joy when you have it. Don't let someone steal it. A few of the guys and I were on the phone on Thursday night with. Um, by good friend uh, Rick Cohen he's a pastor in New York and uh, in the 70s he was part of a christian commune now uh, in the 70s the hippies hippies lived in communes, there were 20 or 30 hippies piled up into one big house. There was one right in the front on, Cape, on the Cape in front of my grandfather's house. Uh, there's a hippie commune, but when the Jesus movement came around, along and a harvest of Christians came in, man, they did, they just started doing the same thing, but it became what I would call a sanctified commune in which Jesus was the head of what was going on. But there were problems. And so he described to us, he lived in a Christian commune. Um, The one he lived in, they believed that anyone coming into that house had to go out and get a full-time job. This is what real Christians do. But there was another different kind of commune with a different name. It believed that real Christians, I mean the real serious ones, spiritual ones, you, just get, you don't get a full-time job, you get a part-time job. You have more work for ministry. But then there, there was a different one with a different name, and each of these three communes had many, many communes. They, uh, there was a third one that said, no, man, we don't work at all. We just do, we get alms from people, we get, uh, we get donations from people, and we're in ministry full-time. And he said, all three of them, and he pointed the finger at himself, I was one of them, all of us were saying, Well, we're the real Christians. And what happened? In a matter of years, all of them fell apart. Why? Because their joy was mutilated. Why? Because someone was adding to the liberty of the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ. Paul says, beware of those kind of people. And he cannot possibly use stronger language. Dogs, evil workers, beware of the people who will mutilate your joy. So the first way to fight for your joy, don't let anyone take it away when you have it. Second thing to fight for your joy, if you don't have it, seek hard after the Lord until you do. The first way to, uh, to, uh, to fight for your joy, first few verses of Philippians, don't let anyone take it away when you have it. Whenever you do the second thing, when you don't have it, you seek hard after the Lord. Speaking of memory verses, every one of us in this room should memorize this verse. Can you go to the next one, Hebrews? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Please, I beg you, get this into your DNA, your spiritual DNA. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he, and that means you, or she who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He is a rewarder. And you know what the reward is? It's joy. That's what, in, in whatever circumstance you're in, it's joy. So last week we talked about seeking hard after the Lord. Ask, when you seek hard after the Lord and you obey this verse, chapter um, 11, verse 6, where it says diligently seek him, and you're obeying it and you're seeking hard, and you, you go to the Lord, and Lord, is, is, is any sin in my life robbing me of my joy? Sin is the ultimate kill joy. But you may have no sin in your life. Case in point, Job. What do you do then? You continue to seek hard after him in prayer with your Bible open, remembering that you are in Christ Jesus. Now, l- l- let's read verse 3 again. It says, But we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. So when you're seeking heart at the Lord, your joy's gone, you're discouraged. You, you, the Lord's not telling you uh, that, that there's any sin in your life. And by the way, if there is sin in your life, he will tell you. He's not gonna be silent on that, I assure you. The Bible's really clear about that. There's no, if there's no sin in your life, you keep on seeking and, 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 and you get your Bible open and you seek him out remembering who you are in Christ Jesus. Now, there's about a thousand places in the Bible I could go to or send you to where, where you can study and find out what does that mean that I'm in, verse three says, I'm in Christ Jesus and so I rejoice. What is the Bible? Where in the Bible can I go to? There's a thousand places to tell me about who I am in Christ Jesus. Let's go to Ephesians chapter one. Go with me come with me to Ephesians chapter one. Take your Bibles and let's go to this chapter. Ephesians chapter one. It is the book right before Philippians. Just go a few pages to the left. And again, you've lost your joy, you've you're discouraged, you don't know why there's no sin in your life that that God has um has made you aware of, and don't stop there you you fight hard for your joy. remember the Bible says it's a command to fight for your uh, for your joy because your joy is tied to the glory of God, and that's the purpose of your life. Verse three of chapter one of Ephesians says this again uh, regarding the subject of who you are in Christ Jesus. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Verse four, just as he chose us in him, for the foundation of the world stop when you're in Christ what that means is God Almighty chose you you may be a wretch with a long history of sin a record of sin that is just would shock someone who who, who you told that to but God chose you God chose you before the foundation of the world, it says. And that means that you can say with the writer, with the beloved in the Song of Solomon, we saw this verse last week, my beloved is mine, meaning God is mine. Did you know that you can say that? You can. And I am his. God chose you what does it mean to be in Christ it means God chose you let's continue in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 the verse continues that we should be holy and without blame before him in love so the, listen listen to me Calvary Chapel the only thing that really matters in your life is not how others see you it's not even how you see you it's how God sees you. And, it, and the Bible says that when you're in Christ, that's a, that's a phrase, those two words, I think about 70 times is mentioned in the New Testament, describing you in Christ. It says part of being, part of the implications of being Christ right there at the end of verse four, you are holy and without blame before him in love. Now, that's not because of anything you've ever done. That's because Jesus is living a perfect life, being tempted in every way just as you have, and now he lives inside of you. So God sees you in that way. He sees you as a son. He sees you as a daughter, which is the next verse, verse 5, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Christ Jesus. So you're fighting for your joy. And you're reading Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through uh, 5 here, and you find out I'm a son. It means I'm a daughter. I've been chosen. He sees me. The only thing that matters in my life is not what I see or others see. It's what God sees. And it says here that I'm holy and without blame before him in love and that I'm a son. I'm a daughter. Verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace... Somehow, by God setting you apart and saving you, He's glorified in all of heaven. Verse 6 To the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us, that means you, Calvary Chapel, accepted in the beloved. Now, I didn't really plan this, but Mark chapter one, which I was reciting this morning, what does that mean? What does that mean there at the end of verse six? He made you, says us, but it's talking about you, Calvary Chapel, accepted in the beloved. Now, there's a time, I taught Ephesians, I thought that was referring to the church. And um, even at my age, by the grace of God over time, you realize, "Mm, no, that was wrong. Beloved is actually something, something I think that's even deeper. It says, Jesus, immediately coming from the water, he saw the heaven parting and the spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven and said, you are my beloved son in whom I am well, please, now, now, now stay with me. It says you've been accepted in the beloved. What does it mean to be in Christ? It means I'm accepted in the beloved. I'm an included in the beloved. Jesus is, is the beloved. I'm a son. I'm beloved. Next verse we have here on what this means. Jesus, um, ooh, we have the Spanish at top. <laughs> Jesus le respondió Si alguien me ama guardará mi palabra y mi padre lo amará y vendremos a él y haremos con él morada. So Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, and you're anyone, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now the him is you. If you love God, this says, it says, "My Father, middle of the verse, will love Him, and we will come to Him and make our home with Him. Jesus and Jesus, the Son of God, and God the Father, have made their home with you." Again, we're talking about, what does it mean that you're in Christ? And so we ended with this verse last week. I'm gonna, I think I'm going to end with this verse. It says, you are complete in him. So what, let, let me just, can we put up John 14, 23 again? Uh, how much more complete can you be than this? That, that God the Father and God the Son have come to you and made their home with you. In the beloved, accepted they brought you into the beloved. Actually, they've come to you and made you part of the beloved. How much more complete can you be than that? Again, Colossians 2, verse 10 says, You are complete in him. And I gotta tell you, Calvary Chapel, again, you fight for your joy, you fight for it. Number one, we learned, if you have it, don't let any, any religious person take it away or any, anybody else. But if you don't have it, just with prayer, seeking the Lord. Earnestly seek him. So again, a, a Hebrews, chapter, um, Hebrews chapter 11, verse six, it says this. Without faith, it's impossible to please God for he who comes to God must believe that he is and he is a rewarder of those who feebly seek him. No, no, it doesn't say that. You know, I'm not opposed to that morning devotion time where I have a cup of coffee and whatever, a piece of toast. I've had a thousand devotion times like that, but if that's all you have, you will find yourself. If that's all you have, day to day to day, sort of hanging out comfortable like that, Your joy is going to escape you and you're going to wonder why. The Bible says he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him and the reward is joy. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up at this time. If you could come up also if you've been asked to pray at this time. And if you could rise for the closing worship song. So Philippians chapter 3, Paul says about all of this, verse 4, if you could follow along with me, though I have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I have more so. He says, I was circumcised the eighth day, that means he's was born a Jew as opposed to someone who became a Jew later on in life. I'm the stock of Israel. I'm a pure blood. I'm a pure blood Jew, is what he's saying. The tribe of Benjamin. Now, Benjamin was one of two tribes that didn't take off from the kingdom of David, the line of the Messiah. He was from one of the two best tribes in Israel. A Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning the law of Pharisee, meaning I was, in terms of being good, mortally good, I was a Pharisee. I was among the best. But he says in verse 7, but all these things that were gained to me I have counted as loss to gain Christ see what he figured out was he was he was becoming he, he had been the point in his life where his completeness was in his pedigree I have that Harvard degree I'm affiliated with this gang. I have this job. Well, look at my family, my money, my charismatic personality, my my intelligence, my work ethic, my good looks, my great looking body, whatever. That's what made him complete. Is that what are those the type of things that that make you complete? When you're doing business with the, with the Lord, when you're diligently seeking him. You're saying, "I'm discouraged. What is it in my life that is just too important to me? So much so, so that man, if you take take it away, I I won't feel complete anymore." Part is seeking and fighting for your joy you are complete in Christ you're accepted in the beloved the Bible says that the, if you love God the Father and the Son come and make their home in you your Harvard degree your gang affiliation <laughs> it's rubbish as the next verse says verse 8 rubbish compared to that so as we are as we pray to conclude with this worship song I just want to continue where we we left off last week if you're in a place where you're trying to figure all this out been in a dry season. You've listened to preachers say, as they often do, the dry seasons are normal. They're okay. No, they're not. The Bible says they're absolutely not. It says, rejoice in the Lord. Always, I will say it again, rejoice. No one has to be in a dry season if they're in Christ. Maybe a dry season of a few days. And you're trying to figure this out. What's this dryness about? What's this discouragement about? You want to get someone to come alongside of you and pray? Come up at this time. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus. Help us as we close out the service.